Oh, thank God. All right, say, yeah, we can do that again. Say, all right, so name and age. Oh, uh, Austin Estelle, I'm 23. Uh, Harinder Denesser, I am also 23. These are a couple of my friends from back home in Bordentown. And sometime in the summer of 2014, back right before I left for college, we all got in a little bit of trouble. We were making uh, a video to go along with our Instagram series, uh, which is pretty much like little snippet videos that we like put together. To be honest, we were kind of weird kids and we were making a weird little short film, more out of boredom than inspiration. The story surrounded a pair of shady FBI agents, a biochemical terrorist, and a sinister plot. We'd done this kind of stuff before, but we wanted to make this one good. So we switched things up a little. Usually we like film in like a backyard or like a more like intimate space so like no one sees it, but for this one we knew it had to be in some shady ass area. For one scene, that meant finding the grittiest looking place we could in Bordentown, an abandoned construction site on a quiet back road in the township just a few minutes after sundown. And it was four of us. Uh, and we pull up and it's just all gravel on the road and it's in just, it's in a far off area uh, where like we, we expected we'd have no one like interrupt us at all. We were without a doubt trespassing, but we got out of the car and started filming anyway. And I turned on like the high beam. So that was the only source of light in the area. Um, so in this scene, um, Austin actually, <laughs> gets out and gets on all fours uh, or not on all fours actually just on his knees <laughs> he gets on his knees and he puts a bag over his head and basically it's like an interrogation scene and uh, me and Grant are actually just hovering over him um, and, and to make it feel more alive we actually had like tire iron and like another tool uh, that we used for like a car I don't know what it was it was like this cross thing that had different like bolts on the ends of it um, but like several minutes later uh, a cop <laughs> decides to pull up right behind my car um and that that very second when i saw him pull up i dropped the tire iron. i was right next to my car i just dropped it i was like i'm not risking this uh, it's already bad enough we were all frozen from what i remember austin got up because we were just like you get up get up get up austin remembers me nervously muttering to myself this is not good this is not good So how did it go? Well, the cop approached us, and as Austin says, we had our story straight. According to Austin, I told the cop that we were filming something for his class. He was a freshman film student in college at the time. The cop, a Bordentown Township officer, bought it and checked our IDs. Um, he came in chill, and we just came back chill. And, like, thank God it didn't get escalated to anything, because, like, obviously... <laughs> It didn't look good. Well, it, it definitely didn't look good because we had no camera equipment. We just had our phone. Yeah, so, yeah. So, like, literally didn't see anything. Yeah. It was just us with the tire irons and you on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, I mean, he, I don't think he told us to leave, though, because he, he asked whose car it was, and I was like, it's my mom's car. Um, and he said, like, he'd, like, call it in so no one else would, like, interrupt us. Um, and then we'd be like, all right, we'll hurry up and get this done. But like, he was chill about it. And then he left. He was so chill about it that he let us get our shot and finish the scene. I forgot about that story for a while. Austin, who's white, and Harinder, who's Indian, also had trouble remembering small details, too. 
like exactly which tool I was supposed to hit Austin over the head with. That night was merely an obscure footnote in the misadventures of our childhood. But like being given the benefit of the doubt, the ability to forget is not a privilege in which everyone shared in Bordentown. Uh, cool, that's perfect. Um, you guys have, that's, that's all on your mind about it, right? Do you have anything else that you want to add before I wrap up? I don't know how well that situation would go down right now. What know? do you mean, why? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I haven't felt any hostility uh, from police ever um, because of, like, <laughs> me being Indian or whatever. Um, but I don't know. Bordentown is predominantly white, and there was three white guys. But I was, like, the only, like, colored person. So I guess it might have been fine. But, like, again, like, I don't fucking know. Later that same summer, in 2014, an unarmed black teenager named Michael Brown had been shot and killed in the middle of the street in Ferguson, Missouri. When news broke that Darren Wilson, the officer who killed Brown, had not been convicted of murder, Chief Nucera was working detail at a local truck stop. According to FBI documents, Nucera told one officer to call him if there were any problems that night, like rioting. There were none in Bordentown. But the next morning, according to one officer's FBI interview, the chief allegedly told the officer words to the effect of, quote, these ends, meaning the N-word, are out of control. They're animals, unquote. That summer marked the beginning of a reckoning. As the issue of police brutality against people of color came to the forefront of our national consciousness, the phrase, hands up, don't shoot, however apocryphal the Department of Justice claimed it was, nevertheless became a monument to Michael Brown and the monument to the moment. Almost exactly a year after the killing of Brown, in August 2015, a 17-year-old Timothy Stroy witnessed the shooting of his 14-year-old friend, who is black, in Trenton, New Jersey, by two law enforcement officers. The officers said his friend pointed a gun at them. Stroy told the FBI he didn't see that but said afterward the officers, quote, kept playing a word game with him, unquote, trying to put words in his mouth. Over a year after that incident, Stroy, now 18, shirtless, shoeless, and soaking wet, allegedly tried to pull a Bordentown Township police officer off of his girlfriend as she tried to run from the police after the two were accused of trespassing by a hotel manager. They were not trespassing. He did not have a weapon on him. But luckily, it appeared that that situation had de-escalated. There was a scuffle, and he was pepper-sprayed, but both him and his girlfriend were okay. That was until one officer, the police chief no less, allegedly sent one last message before taking Stroy back to the station. Stay the fuck out of Bordentown. I was no threat to them. Timothy Stroy here, talking to the Philadelphia Inquirer. And I feel as though if I was Caucasian, that would have happened. Especially, even, I personally seen, for me, and definitely no disrespect, but I personally seen white people talk filthy to certain police. I'm talking about filthy. 
and still don't get no bump, don't just get a ticket or something. You know what I mean? And I say, I'm about to go to the store, or I walk away, if I walk away, if I walk away from a cop that's walking towards me, I'll probably get hit with resisting arrest. You know what I mean? So like, I feel as though it was just, it was just because I was black. What we remember and what we forget can tell us a lot about who we are. For instance, Chief Nucera Jr. remembered that Sergeant Nathan Rohr was from, quote, the country, unquote, according to an officer in the FBI documents. Nucera allegedly thought he could speak freely with Rohr because of where he was from, racist slurs and all. He thought Rohr shared those beliefs and was willing to listen. But memories, or rather the perception of those memories, don't always line up with reality. It turned out Sergeant Rohr wasn't just listening, he was also recording. But a community like Bordentown expresses memory differently than a single person would. Communities build statues and hang up plaques. They cast achievements in bronze and etch tragedies into stone. So what happens to all the moments we'd rather just go away? The moments we let recede back into history? What does it mean when a community chooses to take a new step and never look back, to move forward rather than reflect and remember? And what about those who don't get the privilege to forget? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Uh, you know I know that already for the city. Like, I, I, I'm very involved in, in the city. So what my question is, is that, th that there's people that think like him. Like, if you, you're on the Facebook website, you know, we might go down, like, I, I'll scroll down, I'll see, oh, there's a weird, you know, black guy walking down the street, you know, like, watch out. This is Blair Silver, a 31-year-old black resident from Bordentown City, back at the meeting in January 2018. She is addressing a common issue brought up at the meeting, that white residents in Bordentown have a habit of calling the cops on black people they don't recognize. You know, things like that, like, are things that I'm trying to prevent people from thinking like, because they could call the police. Then that's, you know, something that will happen. Like, oh, but he'll, like when um, Dan said, like, why is he getting stopped for no reason? Because somebody probably called the police on him just because he's walking down the street and he looks unfamiliar. Addressing issues like these are nothing new for Blair. She's a member of an organization in town called Building Bridges. We try to promote unity and love and the community. Um, and we just fight for anything that's wrong or unjust. And we're the spokesperson for anything that is happening wrong in the community. Blair says there's a story that residents of Bordentown like to tell themselves. One, she says, they're remembering all wrong. People say this place is diverse. I don't think so. Do you, I, don't, I don't feel there's any real diversity here. And when, we, when things happen, it's just to, they, they just want you out of their face. The latest census information seems to back Blair up. Bordentown Township has a population of a little over 12,000. Of that, over 75% of the population is white. Black residents make up about 9%. In Bordentown City, over 80% of the city's nearly 4,000 residents are white. 11% are black. Blair tells me that all the talk about quote-unquote diversity and inclusivity in Bordentown 
in reality, didn't add up to much. At least not to her. So, like that meeting, it was, they'll say and do anything just to calm it down. So it could just be over instead of actually embracing, using it to embrace diverse, diversity and different cultures and everything. They just want it to go away. Why do you think that is? Um, because they really don't care. That's why. They don't really care about, about it. If it doesn't affect, uh, uh, affect them, they're not going to put as much effort into it. Blair believed Bordentown's problems were bigger than one person, even if that person was the chief of police. Growing up in a small town that is predominantly white and I'm of color, no matter what, there's like five of us and then a hundred of you, no matter what, I'm still going to be the only person that's on the team. And there's always going to be comments and who wants to be somewhere where they continue to offend you (laughs) Um, and not knowing. People say that they are totally for equality and stuff until you see something they you know it facebook really brings out <laughs> the truth in some people like it or not much of the community's conversations at least certainly a number of those regarding the chief's indictment do happen on facebook and other social media sites It's where narratives are shaped and algorithmically impressed into the squishy parts of our brains. And yes, unsurprisingly, it doesn't take long for those conversations to veer into some pretty cringy territory. Territory that's been explored by even some prominent members of the community, like Michael Dauber, a former Bordentown Township mayor who's retweeted memes on Twitter that claim Barack Obama, quote, got blacks hating cops, unquote, and called Black Lives Matter activists, quote, idiots. Dahlberg spent time as both mayor and a township committee member while Nucero was chief. But there are also people like Blair, who are willing to respond and comment back, asking for clarification on what exactly a commenter meant by, and this is a real example one resident wrote in a Bordentown Facebook group, quote, they are invading the suburbs, unquote. So maybe Bordentown has gotten a bad rap from stories like what's going on with the chief. An undeserved reputation. A pile of bad articles that looks a lot more menacing strung together on someone's timeline than is actually experienced in the real world. But no matter what residents believed or remembered about Bordentown, the community was home to us all, including those trolls online. And that can make things extremely uncomfortable for residents of color like Blair in Bordentown. Did you go to the Riverfest? I did not, but I heard it from, I've heard it from Right. There. The Riverfest is another one of those community events like the Halloween parade. There's a beer garden and live music. At the meeting, officials floated the idea of holding more events like these, called community days, with officers present in plain clothes to encourage community bonding and unity with one another and the police. According to one officer's FBI interview, Nucera said that community days were, quote, for all the little Molignans, unquote, referring to black children. So yesterday I walked down to the Riverfest, maybe around 8 o'clock, and I was with my brother. He's also like me. He's of color. 
And one other friend. Literally, I think two other people that look like us was there. So out of maybe 200 people, there were five people of color. It's uncomfortable. I don't know if you ever felt that way or went in the room constantly because we grew up here where you're not like everybody else. So a lot of people feel like me. So a lot of people aren't going to go. So you have the same people at the same event every single time doing the same thing, eating good food and just talking. So there's no promotion of diversity. But the bridges Blair tries to build in Bordentown span wider gaps than the silent pauses in between awkward conversations at community events. Sometimes those gaps are as wide as city blocks. Borden and West. So that my little community um, is predominantly uh, black. Other cultures may live there, but um, that's where, you know, most of people of color live in the city. Um, it is changing, but that's where I grew up. Borden and West in Bordentown City is nestled right in between Burlington Street Park, one block south, Clara Barton Elementary School, one block east, and the city's main street, one block west. And that's where mostly, you know, they call it the bad streets, or it's not really, but people don't want to go there or walk through theirs. I don't know why, but we love everybody. <laughs> This area was also especially dear to another speaker at the meeting, lifelong runner and resident of color, Bob Moore. When I was in eighth grade, we, we used to go from first grade to eighth grade over at the number two segregated school. Bordentown Public Schools had been one of the last in the area to integrate, and Mr. Moore was in one of the first classes to do so in junior high in the late 1940s. But before he did, he went to the segregated number two school in Bordentown City, which, when it was still standing, cast its shadow in the very neighborhood Blair now calls home. His dedication to that neighborhood remains. Are you familiar with the stuff that used to go on up there? Tell me about it. <laughs> well, Borden West for quite a while was nothing but open-air drug market. Moore says some of the older residents of the neighborhood, at some point, just got fed up with all of it. All they wanted was some peace and quietness. There used to be 20, 25 guys up on that corner sometime. Till one, two o'clock in the morning. Boom boxes, raising cane, uh, fighting and all this kind of stuff. And they were tired of it. Together, they formed the Concerned Citizens, a group of about eight residents that focused on tackling issues facing the black community in town. They do things like help 18-year-olds register to vote and advocate for different programs for teens. Moore said he became a kind of spokesperson for the group. I talked to everybody, police chief, school, everybody. And... Uh, so we, we had a meeting one time, and we said, well, in fact, I went up on the corner one time and talked to some of the guys. Mr. Moore told me most of those guys who sold drugs there weren't bad guys. He was actually quite fond of most of the kids. To them, he said, it was just business. And like every business, they were only as successful as their clientele was reliable. See, and the funny part about it is, see, that a lot of the sales were not made to the black kids, were made to white kids who'd come up there to buy drugs. And uh, pot, I guess, I don't, know, I don't know what they were selling up there, but they were selling drugs. Mr. Moore scheduled a meeting with the chief of Bordentown City Police to talk about the situation. Remember, this was a completely separate police department from New Sarah's, a completely different chief, just less than a mile down the road from New Sarah's jurisdiction. And I said, chief, you're gonna have to do something about this mess up there. 
And he says, well, we send our patrols through there, you know, and come in. No, and I says, no, no. I said, Chief, look, this stuff's been going on up there for 20 years. I said, you move this situation from the corner of Borden and West, one block down the street, across the street from that Catholic church, and it wouldn't last five minutes. He told the chief it wasn't right, that he was tired of hearing suggestions that residents in the neighborhood intervene themselves. People in the neighborhood can't police that. People, people, neighborhood people can't go out there and run people off the corner. Mr. Moore says the chief eventually listened and made a cop sit in a patrol car on the corner for a while. Soon after that, Mr. Moore says, kids stopped looking for drugs there and kids stopped selling them. Chief, well, the chief told me when I first talked to him, he says, well, he says, we have, uh, we, we have a large, uh, uh, all of Bordentown to patrol. We can't more or less allot all our resources to that one spot. I says, you're patrolling all of Bordentown, but your trouble is right there. You got to allot something to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Mr. Moore was no stranger to these dividing lines in Bordentown, whether they manifested as highways, blocks, or train tracks. He walked them ever since uh, he was a kid. I know at the, at the meeting, uh, there was a couple ladies that spoke, and they were talking about how that they felt how prejudiced Bordentown was. And that necessarily might have been their feelings, but I don't know what their experiences were. Now, I couldn't make that statement because nobody's bothering me. So I'm not gonna come up and say, you know, they might feel that way, but I don't. Still though, to this day, Mr. Moore says, those lines could reappear suddenly when he least expected it. Well, like I say, you get surprised every once in a while. <laughs> you know, I had two really, like, like I had good friends. And uh, I went to a, one time, I think it was a basketball game. We were going to bed. Guys called me up, Bob. These are, these are all white guys, you know. And they called me up, Bob, you want to go up to the games? And I said, yeah, sure, because I love to go to sports events. And uh, going there to go to games. And we were driving up. And here we are with all these guys that I know. And I'm sitting in the back seat. And evidently, one of them must have forgot I was back there because here comes out the N-word. So, <laughs> I mean, I know all these guys, you know. I'm friends with all these guys, you know. And then, oops, you know. <laughs> really, that, that happened to me twice. That happened to you twice? It happened to me the, twice. the same guys? No, no, it was a different group of guys. Oh my God. <laughs> it was different. That's what I'm saying. You never really know where you stand. Because at that time, we were going to a soccer game. This guy was a good friend of mine. And he, he asked me, Bob, come on, you want to go to a soccer game? Because his son plays soccer. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go, you know, to come up. And we, we were going up, me, him, and, and uh, his other son and everything. And I'm sitting in the back with two other guys and two of us in front there. And uh, it was actually it was son, his, was, his son that made the, made the comment. And we were, I, it was, this was you were going to a Bordentown game? For, for Bordentown, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a state game. And his son was in the front. And it was his son that made the comment. And, uh, you know, and, and then that happened to me twice. Did they say anything? Did they... Apologize or well, recognize that. Well, well, the father went, "Hey, well, much more. Eh, I'm, I'm sorry, Bob. But you know, it's, it's been said. What are you gonna say? You know. Yeah. But uh, that happened to me twice. So I'm saying, you know, you these guys, I know, friendly with them and everything, and then you know this crap comes out. So, like I say, on two occasions that happened to me, going to the game, uh, sitting in the back seat, and people forgetting I was there. And the conversation starts flowing, and all of a sudden, people's feelings start coming out. And, you know, you get things like this. 
You never know. I mean, you just don't know in most cases. According to the FBI interviews, shortly after the Ramada Inn incident, Nusera met with the township mayor at the time, Jill Popko. He told Officer Pesh that she had learned that there were allegations made against him of excessive force, and that he thought Timothy Stroy's aunt may have gotten video of one of his, quote, rants at the scene. Nusera described the rant as, quote, dinnertime conversation, unquote. All of my life, of driving, you always knew, don't go to Bordentown, you're being pulled over, especially black now. Chantel Penix says Bordentown has had a reputation among people of color long before Nucera became chief. One that was confirmed for him personally at the Best Western Hotel that October morning with his ex-wife. He thinks about Bordentown a lot now, mostly about how to avoid it. A tall task as four major highways in the area, Route 130, 206, 295, and the Turnpike all run through town. That means, chances are, Chantel will need to drive through Bordentown to get anywhere he might want to go. So sometimes, he just doesn't. Whether that be a bar for a friend's birthday... Man. <laughs> it, you got worried driving. Yeah, down. just the five minutes. And my route there is just 206 or 130. I'm right here on South Broad Street, um, but... Yeah, you kind of want to stay away, and now, definitely, like, I'm not going there. Or a restaurant for a fundraiser dinner for a son's daycare. Well, I knew I wasn't going out there, so I didn't tell them the reason, but I told the director. I said, here's uh, 20 bucks. Can I just donate cash here and there because I don't think the family's going to go out to eat. I have a big family. I just made up a reason. Like, I have a big family, and we don't get out that much, so I'll just donate that way. And that is, in part, because of just not wanting to deal with Bordentown Police Department. Frank Nucera Jr.'s trial is set to start June 10th of this year. His attorney told the Trentonian newspaper, quote, he's keeping his spirits up, unquote. And that at the end of the day, his only audience is the jurors, saying, quote, they're the only 12 that matter. The verdict is what matters in the long run. That's what's going to affect Frank, unquote. This is the part of the story where you're supposed to end on some kind of hopeful note. One that implies that maybe the wheels of justice, as one resident put it, will turn in the right direction. That maybe things are changing in Bordentown. After all, Brian Pesh, the new chief, seems to have inspired the confidence of some at the meeting and many officers in the court documents. He reportedly met with leaders of the local NAACP chapter, telling them the department has made a, quote, 360-degree turn. That, quote, this was the action of one person, unquote. After a couple of attempts, Pesh agreed to sit down with me for an interview to talk about moving forward as a police department. Three days prior to it, I got an email from Pesh saying some issues had arisen and he could no longer speak with me. I feel like the township police department um, is definitely changing. Blair here again. Um, I feel like there are officers there that are very transparent and they're non-judgmental. And um, I really do see like a change now. 
Yeah. I mean, they had to because they couldn't keep him, but that's just the police department. Um, the community is still the same. Uh, at the meeting, uh, you were discussing some options, and uh, Mayor Benowitz over at the township said that, you know, he would love to speak with you after. He's going to speak with you after the meeting. Did that happen? I've not, I have not spoken to him ever since that moment. Mayor Benowitz won his re-election bid in November 2018. Including Benowitz, of the five members that were on the committee at the time of Nucera's retirement, three remain. Blair emailed Benowitz after the meeting. He wrote back, but she hasn't read it yet. I believe maybe I'll read it <laughs> if I can find it. I feel like I should um, read that. But I, the first uh, instance, when I did email him, he said that things are under control and if he needs help, he'll contact me. wants to communicate and understand. They just want to feel in their little bubble and be around people that they're comfortable with. And, and that's not just um, people, that's people of color too. We don't want to step out of our comfort zone. We don't want that awkwardness. We don't want to feel uncomfortable either, especially if we feel like they don't feel comfortable around us. Did they talk with people or talk at each other? Joe Malone, a lifelong white resident and longtime representative of Bordentown, and also my uncle, responds to why he chose not to attend that community meeting that Blair spoke at all the way back in January 2018. And that you really have to find out. Because having a meeting, and if you don't understand what people are talking about. It's like some people speaking Chinese and some people speaking English. You could be there and people are talking, but if you can't comprehend what they're saying to you. And I, I just, uh, uh, I didn't want to interject myself into that. If Joe had gone to that meeting, he would have heard something that maybe he didn't expect. Something that, possibly to him, might have been worth showing up for. The reason I wanted to speak the second time was that I've heard all the comments uh, presented here today. Because before that meeting about moving forward from the allegations against former Chief Frank Nucera Jr. finally came to an end, and Bordentonians were sent back into that cold January night, Mr. Moore returned to the microphone one last time. I think the main thing to come out of it is that how did this guy raise so, rise so high in the community with the ideas that he had? And the other thing is, is that, in my opinion, his ideas were well known by a lot of people. But the uh, main reason I wanted to speak was that everybody was taking a lot of guff today. Uh, everybody has their opinion of Bordentown. I have my opinion of Bordentown. Oh. 
We went to a segregated school here in Bordentown. I don't know how many people realize that. I went to the segregated school. They tore the school down. We went to school there and we wanted the school remembered because that's all that we had. That was our education. Well, anyway, when uh, we got ready to get a committee together to get something put up to commemorate the school, and uh, Joe Malone walked in. And Joe Malone said, what's all this about? And I, we told him. And he said, do you know there are funds in the state for situations like this? And he saw that the money was brought in to put a monument up there to commemorate that school. So, like I say, these are the things that, 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 that people have done. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Outside, thank all everybody who came up to the, to the microphone and spoke. I hope you all uh, signed in. We'll be in touch with you soon. Uh, I'm available uh, for the next couple of minutes here if anyone wants to speak with me or, or any, any of the officials on the stage. Stay the Fuck Out of Bordentown was reported, written, and produced by me, Grant Hill. Special thanks to Carlene Hempel, who advised and edited the project, as well as Brandon Tomei, who provided additional audio engineering and expertise. And thank you for listening.